We now have the privilege of opening God's word together. So if you'll turn with me to the back of the blue book, Revelation 21, the first four and a half verses, can be found on page 1937. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is the word of the Lord. those of you who don't know me, I don't exactly thrive on camping situations. And, and there's a reason for that. And I'm going to tell you just one of those stories very briefly this morning. And we'll come back to camping a little bit later. We decided to go along with my parents and my siblings, uh, Henny and I, a couple of our kids, and our dog. Some of you who are experienced campers know that's a problem already. And, and we went down from Grand Rapids, Michigan, down just to the, the curve where Michigan and Indiana bump into each other, and there's a place called Warren Dunes. It's actually a beautiful place to go. Lots of big sand dunes. You run down them and end up flipping and rolling and rolling, and there are people who just drive by just to do that down the dunes. They don't actually go over the dune to get to the water, they just like playing in the sand. We camped there, and it was hot. I'm going to use the Fahrenheit because I was American, and that's what I, I paid attention to at that time. It was 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and it was humid. And we got there, and we had this nice little cabin that we were going to stay in. And, and just around back, around the bend from where we were, my parents and everybody else were camping in their tents and their trailer. And we're in this cabin, and, and we decided we're going to walk over to where the tents were and talk to everybody else, and we were going to leave our dog over here. And our dog wanted nothing to do with it. Just the bark, 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 bark. And we finally had to get her just so she would be quiet. And then we realized that what she was really upset was anytime Henny was out of, out of her sight, she would start barking. So it didn't matter if I was there trying to console her. Now, the campground also had a rule that no pets could go in the cabin at night. Remember, it's hot. It's humid. You know where I slept? In the van with the dog. And I didn't do anything to get kicked to the van. It was completely the dog's fault. 
Now, some of you may realize I don't exactly have a love for pets because of this story, too. But it, but it, it really was one of those camping experiences. And, and day one was manageable. It was day two and the start of day three where I started losing it. And my dad finally said, we're all going to Pizza Hut because it has air conditioning. And basically, Chris, we need to calm you down. And so we went to Pizza Hut, and the only thing I could think by the end of day two, and certainly on day three, was, when can I go home? All right? Have any of you ever been in that experience? Maybe it wasn't camping, but, but somewhere else where you are just miserable. I did swear off camping for a few years after that, by the way. But you're, you're miserable, and the only thing you can think is, I want to get home. Psalm 42, I'm going to read that because it, it gets at a longing that's in all of Scripture. It, it comes up time and time again from the time where Cain says, I'm going to be a wanderer, wandering in this world. There is going to be no place of rest for me after he had killed Abel and God called him out on it. All the way through to the end of Scripture, there is this longing for home. When can I go and be at home with God again. And Psalm 42 nails that longing. Listen to these words. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food night and day. Where is your while people say to me, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Almighty with shouts of joy and praise amid the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Yet my soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar, where deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day... The Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You hear the angst of someone who is, who is separated from God and feels God's absence. My soul is downcast. You know, all this time we, we live in a culture that tries to make us feel happy and, and we offer each other platitudes of, of it'll all work out. Don't worry. God's got a plan for you. And we try to boost each other up. And the psalmist says, wait a minute. 
I may long for that, but I'm not ready for it because I'm in a place where I'm experiencing this emptiness and this absence of God's presence. And because of that, my soul is downcast. It's heavy. And I'm longing. And basically, this psalmist is crying out, when can I go home? When can I be with you again, God, the way you meant it to be? And that, brothers and sisters, is the longing that is expressed throughout Scripture. When can we go home? When can we live in God's presence again as he intended it to be in the beginning? When can I go home? We're going to talk about God dwelling and the promise God makes, but, but I want to review with this question where we've been the last couple weeks. We started out a, a few weeks ago talking about longing for God's presence. And, and some of this this angst that's in Psalm 42 is what we express together as a congregation, longing for God. And we invited people after the service to come up and, and name some of the ways that they're longing for God. Someone sent me an email this week. They don't actually come here to worship, but they listened to the sermon online and they sent me an email and said, I, I need a sticky note up there. I need one that just says, help me to know the truth of who you are, God. Help me. And that's the basic longing. It's a crying out that we all have. God, help me. I'm longing. It's, it's like that guy who, who comes to Jesus asking for a miracle, and Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I believe. And in the very same breath, help me overcome my unbelief. That longing that God would show up and be our God, that he would deliver us and make things the way they're supposed to be. And week two, we added to that. Where are the places that we are experiencing the moments of God abiding with us, God being present with us? We talked about Psalm 23 and that place where we go where the, the death cloak is draped over us. So we feel like we are always in the shadow of death and discovering even there we have a God who's gone to death for us, who entered death so that we can be rescued from death, made a way that death will not be the end of our story. And so we, we took time to name some of those places. And if you weren't here the last two weeks, but one of those storylines resonates with you, that you are in a place of deep longing or you are in a place where you're going, I'm in the midst of something awful, but I know God is with me. Feel free afterwards to add your testimony to this wall. There's a little sticky notes up front you can use. And this morning, we're going to jump ahead to the end of the story. Revelation 21, it's the end of, of the story of God coming back and making everything new. And we're going to take a few moments to notice three promises that God gives in the passage that Brian read. And we're going to be invited into the space of trusting God's promise to dwell with us. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, begins with these words, and it's, it's the first promise we'll get to. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So that's promise one. Promise two 
is God's covenantal relationship with us will be fulfilled. And promise three that we're going to touch on is the old order of things will pass away. And we need all three of these promises to resonate with us. Heaven and earth will be remade without anything to threaten them. God will fulfill his covenantal relationship with us in the old order of things passing away. Promise one, heaven and earth being remade without any threat. It's creation language. Do you notice that? Heaven and earth. There's a couple other times in scripture those are used. Sometimes in the Psalms as praise. Let all of heaven and all of the earth, everything that has been made, the sea and all that is within them, praise the Lord. It becomes a way of saying the scope of the entirety of all that God has made. Nothing outside of what God has made. And the biblical shorthand for that is heaven and earth. It should draw us back to the creation story way back at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, when God makes the heavens and the earth. And then the story shifts right there, right into the earth. And the earth was formless and void. But the start of Scripture is to say, God's the one who's created all of this. And this passage is jumping back into that, saying, God is recreating all of this. He's doing something here that has to do with the whole cosmos, not just our souls, not just saving our souls, not just releasing us from sin in some abstract way. This was really important in the first couple centuries after Christ. The church leaders at that time insisted again and again that God was making everything new through Jesus' resurrection. Everything. And they battled what was called Gnosticism, which basically said you, you, you want to get away from the physical things of the world. It's our knowledge that will save us. And we'll be saved in a way that our bodies are no longer important and the world's no longer important. And the early Christian teachers said, no, no, no. Jesus came in the flesh. He rose in the flesh. He was in his body. God's work is actually to make the whole cosmos new. Everything physical, everything spiritual, and bring them together. We're into a recreation scene. And in that recreation scene, this word new is really important. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's kainos. And kainos is, is different than new as in it's, it's a new day or a new product. It, it actually has something deeper to it. It talks on two levels. One, it, it has to do with, with the form of something. It's like when you get that brand new shiny Christmas toy and you look at it and there's not a scratch on it. There's no, no imperfections, no blemishes. Everything is just right. And by the end of that night, you've ran it into a wall and it has a dent. Have you ever done that? Yeah. <laughs> it is saying the new is unused, unworn. There's nothing worn out about it. But it also talks about substance. Not just that it's new in its form and its appearance, but the very substance of it is something that has never been before. It's unprecedented. It's probably a better way to say it. God is creating an unprecedented heaven and earth. And why is it unprecedented? Because of what is said next. Have you ever noticed that odd phrase there? And there will be no more sea. 
where the sea is no more? Thalassa, the sea. It was in the source of, of the Greek world, but especially in the source of the Hebrew word. The idea of the sea was the source of all chaos. All the chaos in the world, all that was wrong from the world, rose up out of the sea. In fact, if you go back to the ancient Near East, which is, is where the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those guys, around that time, there was a god called Yam. And Yam is also the name of the sea. And they feared Yam. The sailors feared Yam. If the sea was peaceful, they were happy. But when the sea was chaotic, everything was in danger. Yam was the source of all that was wrong. That was the source. And what is being said here to, by John, who's writing this revelation from God to a people who understand the Hebrew scriptures and they understand this idea of territorial gods and a god of the sea who produces chaos everywhere, they understood when it said there is no more sea that God was saying the new heaven and the new earth will be unlike anything you've ever imagined because there won't even be a threat of chaos. That God that you have feared, that's always in the back of your mind, that what if something goes wrong will be taken out, will not be present. This new creation will not have chaos or even the possibility of chaos. I don't know about you, but that's really beyond my imagination. I can't understand it. The closest I've come was a conversation with my dad once. My dad worked for an insurance company, and, and his job was to go around appraising things that had been broken. So when the tree fell on your house, he was one of the guys who went out to look at it. He spent most of his time working with cars that had been damaged. And he would go to the junkyards and say, yep, that's a total loss. The closest thing that I can come to is a conversation where I said to my dad, you know what? In heaven, you're not going to have a job. The whole insurance industry is going to be gone. If you sell insurance, I'm not trying to bash your hopes for this life. It's just that chaos is going to be gone. That threat of something happening that we didn't expect will be gone. God's promise Promise one, the earth will be remade without any threat existing. Promise number two comes out of Revelation 21, two to three. I want you to listen to the marriage metaphor that's in here and, and pay attention to it because it, it really speaks of God's covenantal love. God making a covenantal relationship with us. And, and it draws us back into a long storyline where God pledges himself as if he was a husband. Isaiah uses that language. I have been a husband to you, he says to the people of Israel. So this image here is important. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's like that, that oh, I had that with Rob and Jess just a little while ago. You guys got married this summer. You're the newlyweds in the congregation. 
They didn't know I was going to say that, but... But at the end, I get the privilege of saying, I now introduce to you for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. Joustra. And I get to say that. And, and, and there's something in that pronouncement that says, this is official, this is really real. All those hopes and dreams that led up into that moment, they've really happened, and it's true. And you get a pronouncement here, as if at a marriage ceremony of God saying from the throne, it's true, folks. We are bound together now. Our covenantal hopes and dreams that we've been working on all through history are fulfilled. God's moving in with us. And it's legitimate and good and right. And because we have no chaos to fear anymore, there's no threat in this. This is a day to rejoice and shout and jump up and down and celebrate. Rob and Josh, you guys didn't kind of walk out like this. There was none of that. There was excitement. In fact, you're going quicker than the music really would let you be because you are thrilled. And the people behind you, even though we told them during the rehearsal, pace yourself, let Robin just get a little ahead, and then the next group, they were coming right after you. And your parents and, and others weren't far behind. And you get out there and you celebrate, and the first thing you do is hug, even though Rob doesn't like hugs. Right? That's this moment. All our hopes and dreams are fulfilled in this moment. God is dwelling with us. It is good. It is right. It is celebratory. There's something that adds to it, another layer. The word for dwell is tent. I told you we'd get back to camping. I saw that word this week as I'm reading the Greek on the text and paying attention to it. It's tent. And I went, are you kidding? I got to go camping forever? That was my first response. Some people worry about going to heaven, that idea of I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to have to sing in a choir. And they don't like singing. I was one of those kids. That scared me when my choir director said, you're going to do this forever. And I went, ah, where's my baseball? Shouldn't have said that. Some of you are now thinking about the Blue Jays game. But this idea of tenting forever tenting, God tenting with us, but it's a richer word than the tent that we would put up. It's tabernacle. It's the closest the Greek has for the Old Testament idea of God tabernacling with us. God setting up his presence in the midst of his people and saying, I'm going to dwell with you so that you can see me. When the tabernacle is finished at the end of the book of Exodus, it says God's glory moved in. God's glory filled it to overflowing, said that no one, not even Moses, could go near it. And Moses spoke with God face to face. And yet in this passage, in the end of Exodus, when that tabernacle is the way it should be, God dwells among his people, and it's a rich presence. You know the other place Skene shows up? The word for tent? John chapter 1. Talking about the word. The word dwelling among us, or as Eugene Peterson says, the word moved into our neighborhood. It's the same word. Jesus Christ in the flesh, incarnated, dwelling among us. God's presence in us so that we can see and touch and be present with him. God with us. 
not in some abstract idea, but in the flesh. And here we hear it again at the end of Revelation, God dwelling with us. And the promise that comes with that is this huge promise, a promise that was made to Abraham. I will be your God and your descendants will be my people. And it was said to Isaac and to Jacob and it was said to Moses and it was said to David and it was said to Solomon and it's said again and again and again in Scripture, I will be your God. I will be with you and you will be my people. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to forsake you. And I'll live with you so that you can see me and touch me and be with me. Nothing will separate us. Promise three. Old order of things passing away. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Quite simply, it's not just saying nothing's going to threaten us anymore. God's saying, because I'm going to dwell with you, because I'm going to live with you, I'm going to undo every consequence of your sin. Everything that was wrong and broken, everything that has so marred your experience of me and my world will be fixed. It will be made right. No more death. What happens for Adam and Eve? They're told, don't take a bite of that tree because when you do, you will die. You know the death they experienced in one generation? One of their sons killing their other son. Imagine for a moment. Oh, we didn't die. Yeah, God's angry with us, but we didn't die. There's no death. And a few years later, you hear and see that your one son has killed your other son. Death in a way we can't fathom. Death entering in because of the consequence of sin. It is seen in Scripture, presented as one of those first marks those first signs that nothing is right anymore and here at the end of revelation god says because i will dwell with you all those things that have happened all those wrongs that are in the world will be undone including death paul as he's talking to the corinthians and writing to them about the end about that time when christ will come back says right now Right now, Christ is at work making all things new and putting every enemy under his feet, including the last enemy, death. It is a constant assurance to us throughout Scripture that the consequences of our sin, the brokenness that has been ushered in through our sin, will be undone. And when death is removed, so will come mourning. We will no longer mourn or lament or grieve, or cry, maybe tears of joy. But that sorrow and that pain and the possibility of it will be taken away. Those things that, that have been wrong will be undone. It's a powerful assurance to us that God... And in fact, N.T. Wright says it this way. 
he says, you know, so often we talk about death as a friend and death as a, a kind of culturally today. We say death as a friend and I'm looking forward to it and passing on to the other side and we use all these gentle euthanisms. And he says, really what scripture teaches us is that death is going to die. Death will be crucified. Death will be removed. It will exist no longer. And the hope that we have is that the pain and the sorrow we experience today will be undone. It will be no longer present. And it's emphasized. I, I wish the NIV, NIV has a habit of one word that it likes to skip in the Greek. It's, it's uh, idu. And, and that word in the Greek means behold. So in the King James Version, the old King James Version, you get all these beholds. How many of you grew up with King James? And, and you still want to throw those, those, that word in there. Behold this, behold that. It's look, pay attention, watch what's happening. And the NIV brushes over it. It's one of my little grievances there. But if we listen to that word, it, it's God saying, open your eyes, look around, go explore, take a look at what's happening, fill the whole earth, check it all out. I'm making everything new. All those fears, all those doubts, all those worries, all those discouragements, all those things that held you down, they're gone. Search far and wide, you won't find them. Behold, I'm making everything new. I asked Brian to stop where he did for the reading for today, but I want to emphasize a word that comes after this. It comes after the reading. It's part of the next statement. It has everything to do with what we're going to celebrate here in a moment. If you're in verse 6, it says, He said to me, It is done. Whereas it's translated in another passage, It is finished. Jesus on the cross, as he's crying out and paying for our sins, says, It is finished. I am making everything new. I have paid the price. The sins are removed. All that's broken is removed. It is undone. Its power is broken. And here at the end, when God moves in with us, when God dwells with us, the words are the same. It is finished. It's fulfilled. It's made its full purpose real. It is finished. So when we taste this bread and taste this cup we're tasting an assurance of what God has already done in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven and we're tasting a promise of what is yet to come that day when we will dwell with God and God will dwell with us without any threat and with everything made new this is a powerful passage for me this Romans 8 passage. It's one I, I cling to and I come back to. And, and it's how do we live now in the hope of that day? For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's assurance to us now. 
as we look forward to that day when he will dwell with us. Our prayer wall. Invite us to respond today. There's the pink sticky notes this week, a different color. Plaster them up on the the lime green sheet up there. Which of God's promises gives you the hope, strength, and courage you need today? Maybe it's the promise that that God, God will be with us. Maybe it's the promise that, that God will make all things new. Maybe it's the promise that, that there's not going to be any more threat in the new heaven and the new earth. It's an opportunity for us to name the, the places in our life where we feel hopeless, worn out, and discouraged. And that longing enters in. It's a place for us to say, I receive this promise, God, that you will make it all new. Maybe what we'll write down is simply a prayer that God helps us overcome our unbelief. In all of these things, what we're doing together as, as we name these things and, and respond to this question and put them up on the wall is we're encouraging each other with stories of God's faithfulness. And they may just be post-it note-sized stories. But we're starting to tell the stories and put a wall together that says, folks, we're part of something bigger. And God's faithfulness is still with us. Before we sing, I'm going to give us, as I've done the last couple weeks, just one minute right now that you can start jotting something down on one of those pink sticky notes. And then I'll pray and we'll, we'll sing a song. And then at the end of the service, I invite you either to stay here and think some more, reflect some more, or to, to walk up and, and post them on the wall. But I'll give you a minute now. Lord, what you give us is a gift of grace again. Knowing full well that we are going to be in spaces in our lives where it feels like you are absent, where your word seems distant from us, where we don't even know how to pray, and we are completely dependent on others to pray for us and alongside of us. Lord, and into those spaces you speak this good word that you are making a new heaven and a new earth unprecedented because the threats are gone, that you yourself will dwell with us, that you're making everything new and you invite us to see how new it really is. Encourage us in this day. Lift our spirits by your spirit. Assure us of your promises as we taste the bread and the cup. May your faithfulness extend to us and through us, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Please stand.